1: Was blind but now I see
0: Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. I have to tell you in the way of an admission. I don't have this thing all figured out. When I was back many years ago in seminary studying for my Masters of Divinity, I had friends who would say to me, Ray, why don't you just relax and enjoy being a Christian? Why don't you just relax and enjoy being a pastor? I'd say, I can't do that because I sense I'm missing something. There's something not right. And through the years, I have tried in every way I know to cut through the misinformation I was taught at the seminary in my upbringing to understand the depths of the scriptures that I might know Jesus. In the whole process i have just been more and more consumed in my life by this amazing wonderful man by the name of jesus he's he's captured my heart he's transformed my life and i'm con- i'm continuing to search after him with all my heart i shared some of that last week on the air now It would be great if I could just come and and teach you what the scriptures say, but it's not that simple. Because most of what we've been taught is tainted with things that are not true. And we have to search the scriptures and understand and be taught by the Holy Spirit so that we can begin to comprehend and understand the depths of this man, Jesus. <clears throat> the church in America is dead. It's it's the king who has no clothes. It's bare naked. Remember the letter to the church at Laodicea. Blind, naked, miserable, and doesn't know it. Rich, think you're rich and increased in goods and in need of nothing. That's the description of the modern American church. I can't simply blindly go along with what I'm told. And I beg of you, don't just blindly accept what I say to you, but search the scriptures. Plead with God to give you understanding. Don't be satisfied with with the leftovers. Come with me. Search the word. One of my dear brothers, whom I love with all my heart, asked me two very difficult and stunning questions on Sunday as we gathered at the National Prayer Chapel. I'm going to share these two questions with you, and then today, and then depending on how we move forward with offertory, as quickly as possible, I'll continue this study and this discussion. Right now, for the month of October, the bill that we owe at Weva is just over $3,900. We have so far received this month, for the month of October, $1,018. So we're still $2,800 short of having our goal for the month. I've been praying about that. I've been lifting that up before the Lord. I know he'll move in the hearts of his people to Contribute, but we'll have to do some offertories this week. I have a responsibility before God to pay that twenty-eight hundred dollars, so if you're wanting to help cover that, please either go online to nationalprayerchapel.com and give online, or call 8775340780 uh, and talk with Drew and tell him exactly how much you can pledge i won't be able to get to the post office so i need to know how much the lord is prompting you to pledge toward that so that we'll know when the goal is reached so you could call 877534 zero seven eight zero today as I do this presentation and make a pledge that would be awesome and I thank each of you who has given that one thousand eighteen dollars already that was an amazing gift that you gave each each one of you thank you some twenty dollars and some five hundred dollars so I treasure each of you who gives thank you For walking with me in this now to start and to be very plain with you the Lord gave me many years ago a revelation of repentance and called me into deep deep personal repentance before him showing me that he is a holy God and that the only avenue into Jesus Christ is repentance and turning from our sin. No longer walking in arrogance or bitterness or pride. No longer walking in any pornography or, or lying or cheating or stealing. No longer walking in any of the sins that are so common to the flesh. And then he gave me some years after that A revelation of righteousness. And that was such a a wonderful gift to me because I had understood justification by faith to be a legal matter that God declared me righteous. He imputed righteousness to me. And the revelation came, no, he imparts real righteousness to you. It's not a legal matter. It's real righteousness. And the word to be justified was an old English word that meant to be made righteous, literally. To be made righteous, not a shell game, not the popular sinning Christian theology. Well, that was a mighty change for me that I grasped like a a sinking, dying man to be made righteous, and I began to plead with Jesus to make me righteous. And he has done that. And I rejoice in that place with Jesus. Now, as you know, if you've been listening to this broadcast, I have been pleading with Jesus for the full baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so on Sunday, this, not just a brother, but my son, asked me two questions. first and i ask you these questions please answer them honestly are you a romans 7 christian or are you a romans 8 christian i didn't have to think about it i immediately said i'm a romans 8 christian well what's the difference well if you go to romans 7 verse 14 We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do I do not do, but what I hate I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me i know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature for i have the desire to do what is good but i cannot carry it out for what i do not do the good i want to do the evil i do not want to do this i keep on doing now if i do what i do not want to do it is no longer i who do it but it is sin living in me that does it so i find this law at work when i want to do good evil is right there with me for in my inner being i delight in god's law but i see another law at work in the members of my body warring against the law of my mind making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members now that is the predominant teaching of the evangelical community in america and And the lie of believing that Romans 7 is the normal life of the Christian. And then they cover this with a phony false grace and say, you can never stop sinning. You're always going to be a sinner. But God loves you anyway because he covers you with this blanket of grace. And so they talk about grace in such exceptional terms to cover over your sin. Now, that is a Romans 7 Christian. They believe they're saved. They believe they're walking with Jesus. And they believe the Holy Spirit is with them. Para, with them, beside them, but not in them. And then comes Romans 8, Christian. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. So, are you a, a Romans 7 Christian? Or are you a Romans 8 Christian? Well, I immediately answered, I'm a Romans 8 Christian. But there's another question that must be asked, and I'm Please don't just roll over on me and say that's a simple question. It's not. The question is, is the Holy Spirit with you, or is the Holy Spirit dwelling in you? Now, if you say that the Holy Spirit is with you, you are still a Romans 7 Christian. If you freely can say that the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you, then you are baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm struggling with these questions. I know that I am in Romans 8 because I have power to not sin. The Holy Spirit has granted me that. I also believe that the Holy Spirit is dwelling in me, that Jesus and the Father are in me. And they have made me righteous. They have stripped out the wickedness. Which are you? And I'm going to talk as soon as I'm free of this $2,800 bill that's due I'm going to go in depth into this question. This is a a question we have to be able to answer and answer it clearly. It makes all the difference. Now, to begin today to lay a foundation to get at this question, I want to share some material by George Watson. George Watson was born in 1845 and died in 1923 he was one of the most powerful preachers of the night, of the of the late 19th century he was a methodist preacher he was a part of the holiness movement in america i'd like to share some thoughts that he has on jacob because if we understand what god did with jacob we can answer these questions much more clearly. Jacob was taken through a a very difficult process that I think in many ways describes the process of every person who has brought into Jesus and Jesus into him or her. So he begins by speaking about Jacob rendering legal service to God, and we mean by rendering legal service by a rigid routine, by specific wages, a service that is measured off as it were by by the yard and by the dollar. So much labor for so much joy, so much performing of duty for so much salvation. Remember, Jacob works for Laban, and and he works for a very specific reason. He wants a wife. Now, trying to get a wife or grace by doing certain performances serving God inch by inch. The epistle to the Galatians is a very elaborate unfolding of the principle of legal service. In this epistle, Paul states a general fact that even the children of God who are in the spiritual minority, yet not delivered from their native reasoning and carnality of nature, have in their measure the same legal bondage that many sincere but unregenerate ceremonious ceremoniously have that is people who follow the ceremony the rituals of the church now I say that the heir the regenerate soul as long as he is a child a babe yet partly carnal as long as he is a child doesn't differ from a servant though he be lord of all but he's under the tutorage of the law He's under coercion until the time appointed by the Father, until he receives the promise of the Father, which is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, Galatians 4, 1 and 2. And this is where a Roman 7 Christian finds themselves. They're under the law, and the law condemns them. And in the church today, they cover that up with a false understanding a lying understanding of what Scripture calls grace. There are four kinds of religious law. The first three always bring the soul into bondage. The last one alone brings the scriptural liberty and the joy of service. So let's quickly identify what these four laws are. The first one is the one that adam and eve found in the garden of eden as they walked into sin it's alluded to by theologians yet no one really knows what it was it was never written out it's referred to as the ideal rule or exact uh, propriety in thought word and act and in action in other words you're you're doing what you're supposed to do then The second law is the ceremonial law. It's ritualistic, in which religion is prescribed and written out in external duties. And all of life and time is parceled out into specific rites and prayers and performances. This was what Moses received on the mountain. Religion is measured out by the inch and the ounce feeding a baby with a spoon. And such a service produces great weariness and slavery in body and mind. No soul ever found sweet peace and rest from going through a prescribed ritualism. But, frankly, there are some of you who do find great peace in just going through the church rituals, saying the Our Father and other rituals that you walk through But then you leave that and you dive into the entertainment of the world and you dive into the wickedness of our age. You don't find true peace with Jesus. The third is the moral law, the Ten Commandments. And this law differs widely from the ceremonial law. The ceremonial law was written by Moses, but it was nailed to the cross of Jesus. But the Ten Commandments were written by no creature but by the finger of God. And they were not repealed by Jesus, as the antinomians teach, but are binding on all generations. Still, it's impossible for any to keep the moral law until they are brought under the power of true grace. It's here that imperfect Christians have their legal struggles. They have enough grace to make them move and love the moral law, and they strive to keep that law in the full spirit as well as the letter. But their impurities of heart bring them into a struggling bondage. Now the fourth religious law is the law of faith, the law of life in Christ, the perfect law of liberty, the law of love out of a pure heart this law is of perfect faith working by love it is the outlet from the bondage of the other laws the law of faith and love is just the reverse of legalism the legalist thinks if he could just keep the law then god would save him but the believer goes to jesus first to get fully saved and then he keeps the law And he keeps the law only so long as Jesus fully moves and saves him. He can't keep the law in the human nature. It is something that God does in us and for us. So now let's take a look at at the life of Jacob and look at how he gained a full deliverance. Jacob's legal bondage is described in the twenty ninth and thirty first, the book of Genesis. First, he was a child, but not in full happy fellowship with his parents, far from home, and the faces of loved ones shone only in memory. How many of God's people are in a similar condition? Instead of going on to perfection, they have allowed the fear of some Esau to come between them and the smiles of God, still striving on without immediate communion with the Heavenly Father, just going through the rituals of going to church, not finding anything there that really comforts their heart except false teaching they're romans 7 christians number two an heir yet working for stipulated wages inheriting the vast wealth of abraham and isaac yet so far removed from his legitimate fortune is to be a hired servant And many in the church of Jesus today are in this state, serving for wages, doing this, giving that, going there, always on the move, always doing something at the church. These heirs are in exile, entitled to the baptism of the Holy Spirit with its wealth of results under some legal taskmaster serving for wages, so much work for so much religion remember he was under Laban the Syrian Laban is a very accurate type of the mere letter of the written law the word Laban means whiteness and the mere letter of the law whether ceremonial or moral is holy just and good yet in itself utterly void of all mercy or love in the judging of Bible characters, I take sides with the Lord. If I can find out the Lord's decision upon a person, I at once adopt it as mine, whatever the appearance to the contrary may be. There is not a trace of God's approval upon Laban. We can read behind the lines what he was that he was rigid, he was exacting, he was merciless, always driving a hard bargain, yet never getting rich. His daughters complained that their hard-hearted father sold them instead of giving them away. He reduced everything, even the sweetest affections of earth, to a mere trade. That's a picture of the cold iron of the law. And yet legality is just such a spirit. It knows nothing but hard driving duties. I've heard a man say, I go to church to serve. And he's angry about it. This way, this approach reduces prayer and devotion even the soul's loving of Jesus to a sort of a trade. It knows nothing of glad, generous, loving service. It's always pinching. It's always uh, it's always tight, and it's giving. It's never open-handed. It's never, I just want to give to you, Jesus. I just, I love you. You have everything. Laban was never satisfied, but grew more and more exacting. He changed Jacob's wages ten times. Such is the nature of legal service. It never yields peace, contentment, satisfaction. Let one attempt to follow out of religion of the mere letter, the duties are multiplied, tasks grow more irksome, anticipated experience are not reached. How touching are the words of Jacob to Rachel and Leah you know that with all my power I've served your father and your father has deceived me and changed my wages ten times but the God of my fathers has been with me and suffered your father not to hurt me but for what grace Jesus gives to his people in such a state they would be crushed by the heel of legalism now there are very specific steps to liberty. One, the Lord said to Jacob, Return unto the land of your fathers, and I will be with you. There's nothing like the distinct, specific voice of God calling the believer to spiritual liberty. Many will serve God year after year in a hard, legal way. They may hear sermons and testimonies and read books on the higher life, but somehow the truth does not dawn upon them till God in his own way brings a crisis to their soul and he calls calls them arise, get thee out of this bondage. All our preaching and writing is vain unless we can get God by the Holy Spirit to speak directly to souls himself. And Jacob followed the call of God at once, without consulting a word from Laban. So you must do, O tired and fettered soul. If you stop to consult the routine of duty or consult with other fettered Christians, you will get into deeper bondage. You must let the dead bury their dead. Let the dead religionists take care of dead forms. You follow Jesus. Now Laban chased Jacob down and searched his stuff. And it will be also with you. You set your face toward Mount Gilead, the mount of healing, of balm, and some evil spirit will chase you and search you and try to entrap you back, charge you with rashness, presumption, aiming too high, acting without proper counsel, anything to keep you in the old ruts. Can I stop a minute? It is so important that you understand what's being said. You must have a direct word from Jesus or you will remain in your dead, lukewarm state. There must be an awakening, and I come day by day on this radio broadcast to try to call you into a deeper devotion to Jesus. Jesus to call you out of that slavery, out of that ritualism, out of that deadness, to wake up and find the joy of an honest, righteous walk with Jesus Christ. You must hear him calling you or you will never be set free. And you will never hear him calling you if you don't turn your television off and turn your videos off and go to the scriptures and begin to devour the scriptures. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Devour the scriptures. Read the stories of the Old Testament. Read... Read, 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 search the scriptures, pray, ask Jesus to wake you up, to quicken your heart. Until you do that, you will never find Jesus, and you will always be a Roman 7 Christian. When Laban found that Jacob and his family could not be turned back, then he gave them his kiss and his blessings. Even the letter, even the letter of the law that kills when you are under it will turn and kiss you when you get free from it. The hard duties of life put on a sweet and friendly look after you get free from their drudgery. When you are put on an equality with the law, it will treat you very nicely but treat you rough if it is lording itself over you. There is only one escape from the law, and that is Jesus Christ, where you no longer have your eyes on yourself or on your sin or on the law, but Jesus has utterly captured your heart and you give yourself entirely and completely to him I have done this Jesus has captured my heart I used to go through the motions and I struggled as a pastor because I had to encourage everybody in the congregation to to do their duty to be faithful to do what Jesus called them to do I don't do that anymore I call people to follow Jesus they come and say pastor what should I do this is what I'm facing what should I do I say have you talked to Jesus well he didn't answer me well go search after Jesus until he answers you and then you'll have the answer to your question you need the Holy Spirit to guide you as Jacob went on his way the angels of God met him these angels were precursors of victory to encourage and prepare him for meeting the angel of the covenant who was jesus who should transform him fully even so it is now when the believer presses on his way to the land of promise good angels in some shape will meet you some witness or teacher or book or evangel evangel of grace will be sent to to meet such a soul to help it on its way and to me a friend gave me a book on righteousness the book set me free it was the cry of my heart my wife my late wife and i were on our way to florida on vacation we had 10 days on vacation our vacation was utterly ruined i spent the whole time and she spent the whole time reading together this book on righteousness by malcolm lavender on the sinning christian and we were transformed God will send someone into your life to help guide you into the fullness of Jesus if you will begin to just pursue Jesus and turn aside from your legalism, turn aside from your rituals and seek the face of Jesus and read the scriptures and cry out to him and stop just being a king who has no clothes on. I want the white raiment of revelation. And praise God, I'm dressed in that white raiment today. I'm no longer naked. I don't want you to be naked. Now, Jacob had been consecrated to God ever since his Bethel experience but he had come to a crisis when every element of consecration was to be brought fully forth. Every believer is consecrated in a measure, yet very few carry their self-sacrifice to God to the point of completeness in the sacrifice of his all to God, which Jacob made. He first of all yielded his all item by item, in sending his presence to Esau to appease him, which was in reality committing to the will of God. He parceled it out. He drove, drove after drove, leaving a space between them. Genesis 32, verses 13 to 23. This is characteristic of entire consecration. The Holy Spirit who conducts the believer through that exercise presents to him an accurate analysis of all he has and is and leads the soul to yield its everything up to God item by item to the last Adam and if you begin to get close to God, if you begin to search after Jesus, he's going to ask you Adam item by item Adam. to give him your children your time your wife, your husband, your money I've tried to talk to some people about this and they have utterly rebelled and said, I'm not I'm not going to make Jesus first before my wife or before my husband. I'm not going to give him my ambition. I need to be successful in this life. I need him to help me be successful. Wrong. You'll never find Jesus that way. Everything has to be laid on the altar of burnt offering. It was risking his all to an unknown destiny. It was make or break. It was win all or lose all. It was complete victory or his destruction. No middle ground, no half measure would answer. In his prayer, you see the distress of that crisis. He must run an infinite risk and leave it to God to gain the victory. In after years, he referred to this as the day of his distress. The entire entire giving of himself over to the unknown and eternal will of God is a very serious and eventful act. I've had people say, Pastor, I can't do that because I don't know what God will ask for. He'll ask for everything. Well, I don't know what God will do with me. He'll do everything he desires to do with you. Remember, my late wife used to pray, Lord, I'm a blank check. Spend me however you wish. And he chose to spend her on cancer. And as she lay dying, she said, Raymond, will you do the funeral sermon for me and please do it? say to the congregation, the Lord gives and the Lord takes. Blessed be the name of the Lord. She was right, and I said that at her funeral. For better, for worse, for weal or woe, it is the problem of all or none. In a certain sense, the soul solemnly chooses to run an infinite risk with the incomprehensible purposes, purposes of God for both worlds. A superficial Christian is always miles away from such an act. A Roman 7 Christian will never take this action until their soul becomes so hungry for God that they're willing to make a change his strength had to be broken by the Lord and Jacob was left alone and there he wrestled a man with him and when he saw that he prevailed not against him he touched the hollow of his thigh and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him after committing all he had to the province of God it remained for him to put himself into the divine hand left alone with God now, please hear what I'm going to say. The Christian faith, in its very last analysis, reduces itself to two people God and you. God draws away from things and all other creatures, He draws you to Himself. He will settle all questions of destiny directly with the soul, with your soul, apart from any secondary laws or agents. It was not Jacob that wrestled with the angel primarily, but it was the God-man that wrestled with Jacob. Jacob's only path to victory was his complete subjection to the Lord. Some of you have utterly refused to be totally subjected to the Lord. You still think you have to have that alcohol. You still think you have to have that cigarette or cigar. You still think you have to have the world's entertainment. You still think you need that ambition and the success in the world. If you want Jesus, you're going to have to come and be utterly subjected to his will to have imparted to you real righteousness. All that night, the Son of God wrestled with every power of Jacob's nature, reducing all of his energies of self-will and self-planning and self-desire and self-esteem till his spiritual bones were broken. And to cut the work short, the Lord unjointed his sturdy limb and made him a limping picture of weakness it is our strength that god must hew away in order to bless us isaiah says the lame take the lord take the prey he was perfectly conquered by the lord cannot be conquered by any one or anything else but if god does not conquer us we are an easy prey to a thousand foes the soul that is thoroughly subjected by the lord will march or limp triumphantly through the earth and sky apparently as weak as an infant but utterly invincible the innermost and utmost confession of his being to god the lord said what's your name he said jacob what a vast difference there is between confessing the mere actions and confessing the inmost character of a being In Hebrew literature, a name stands to represent the character of that which is named. And Jacob means heel grabber, supplanter. That was the original inherent trend of his moral being, for which he was no more responsible than for the color of his eyes. Yet none of the less, but none the less, Even though he inherited evil, it had to be confessed and purged. The outward act of supplanting his brother had been confessed and pardon for sin granted at Bethel. This confession is fundamental. He frankly opens the complexion and the core of his nature to God. Now this is the key step in his sacrifice of self the expiring breath of the old nature. Now his whole moral nature was purified. The changing of his name to Israel, that is, a prince of God, to victor, implies in the strongest manner his complete cleansing from depravity. Now, please... There is, with the coming in of God, an endowment of power. Remember, Jesus said to the disciples, wait in Jerusalem until you receive the power. I've been saying to God, where's the power? I've been waiting on God for the power. Listen. Pastor Watson writes, Thou hast power with God and with man, and hast prevailed. This gift of pure divine unction to a soul is beyond all measurable created forces. It is far beyond all science or comprehension of man. It is entirely supernatural in its nature and operation. It mocks all reasoning and defies intellectual investigation. It is like an investment of the soul, an atmosphere around the spirit, a fiery breath, a spiritual lightning, which ignores things great and wise, and never works according to our forecasting, and brings most marvellous things to pass with utmost ease. After Jacob is thoroughly crucified, how readily he receives power from God now that the dike of self is swept away the cataracts of heaven they flow easily over him with this mysterious power on his soul he meets Esau and that wicked vindictive man weeps like a child conquered by an unknown force in his subjugant marching from place to place, a supernatural tear fell on the surrounding tribes so that they were afraid to pursue after Jacob. Similar efforts often flow from the gift of power. Now, this is startling material because it's saying, the Lord said to me many, many years ago, and he said it audibly. I was crying out to God for the baptism of the Spirit, and he said to me, if you want my power, read my word. And I began to devour the word. Reading from Genesis through Revelation many more times than 50 times. I've read it, and read it, and read it. And he's consistently drawn me closer and opened my heart and changed me giving me revelations of revival giving me revelations of repentance and righteousness and now it's the wrestling with God I'm going to talk a lot more about wrestling with God in the days to come but right now, we have a October bill that has to be paid. We have received just over $1,000, and we still owe $2,800. If you'd like to be a part of covering that, please call 877-534-0780. And thank you for those of you who have given, and, and especially online, You can go to nationalprayerchapel.com and you can give there. What you give will be used to pay this October bill at at WAVA. I hope today's been helpful for you. I want to remind you of the two questions. Are you a Romans 7 Christian or are you a Romans 8 Christian? Is the Holy Spirit with you or is the Holy Spirit dwelling in you? You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. My dear brother, my dear sister, I want you to reach higher. Don't be satisfied with the lowlands. Don't be satisfied with the rituals. Go after Jesus. I am. I don't have it all together. I'm searching after Jesus. I love you, my brother, my sister. Thank you for being a pilgrim with me. I'll talk to you soon. Before
1: the